Hello and welcome to Hightailing Through History, High Tales of History's Tall Tales. Each week, two sisters get together, get high, and like to surprise each other with stories from history. It's a casual hangout. Welcome to our smoke circle. I'm glad you're here. Hey, it's episode 29. I'm Laurel. And I'm Katie. One away from 30. Here we go. We're just doing it. Just doing it. Just heading on down that podcasting road. Diving on in. Diving on in. Rolling on down. Going on through like a tumbleweed. Like a podcasting tumbleweed. Just <laughs> Those are so wispy. Wouldn't you rather be the boulder from Crash Bandicoot? No, I want to be the Indiana Jones boulder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Crash Bandicoot do scary for you? Yeah. That boulder I, gave me nightmares. Yeah, all of it. You know, anything that rolls. A wheel. A wheel sort of object. <laughs> a it's wheel. Fine. Well... I'm going to be the boulder from Crash Bandicoot because I'll crush all in my path. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so metal. Uh, but here we are. So, well, let's all, you know, grab a pillow. Grab you know, a little snuggy weighted blanket. Sounds nice. Oh, yeah. Right? A weighted blanket. It's a weighted blanket sort of night. It's a weighted blanket for me every night because I have sensory issues and can't sleep without them. Also me. Okay, good. <laughs> As you're oh. sitting next to my weighted blanket right there. What are you drinking? Oh, this little pink delight. This is a vodka with grape juice and then topped with strawberry guava soda water. It's really nice. With grapefruit juice? Mm-hmm. That sounds delightful. So it has a little bit of sweetness to it. Yeah, it's more tart than anything. You love grapefruit. I'm obsessed with grapefruit. Always have been. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's ever been a day. I would definitely have in a cocktail. It sounds delightful. Mm-hmm. About you, which uh, you got wine. It is. How would you say that? Saya, saya. Yeah, saya, saya. It's good. The after. Now that I've drank it a little more, I know I said to you earlier the after finish was a bit rough, like it's a bit mm-hmm. acidic. It's much better. That initial flavor is my chef's kiss, dude. I hate. You know what? You're the one that's drinking it. As long as you like it, that's all that matters. I particularly like the first half of it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so grab your grab your drinks, grab your tea, oh, a glass yes. of water or something even, tea. just hydrate and cuddle yourself in. We're going to talk some history. It will be mostly women's history tonight, right? It is for me. It is also for me. Yes. I was hoping you were going to do a lady because of just where we're at, it, you know, in the calendar here. The resident women's history nut over there, yes. I know. It's like, oh, okay, does a, another lady's story. But before we do that, I have to do a corrections, Katie. So one of my history podcast friends, Arjun, who does a podcast called Deep Into History, he focuses a lot more on Roman history, and um, although he has a few episodes that are, are different. But I was like, oh, he did one on Boudicca. I was like, I'm going to go listen to it. And I listened to it, and it's fucking great. <laughs> but I had a couple moments where then after – listening to his and then listening to ours there's some things that like i realized i missed completely or oh. i like mispronounced so um oh my gosh or i just rolled my eyes at myself and i was like you know what laurel you're a dork um so one of the first things it's not even like an informational thing it's just i'm annoyed with myself for saying it is i said this this plays out like a quentin tarantino movie if quentin T- tarantino did history but then later, it was even that same night I said it, and I was like, yeah, but like Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like there's times where he's tackled 
a historic. Oh, okay. Thing, I was literally. You know? I, was like, oh. I just blankly stared at you. I was like, okay. I didn't know Inglorious Bastards was actually based on real history. No, not necessarily, but oh, based okay. on like historical events and time. Did on, he like, base that on thing. the Avengers, the ones that I did? No, I think there. It could be, but there. There's actually like a story that says oh, like okay. the real Inglorious Bastards, quote unquote, unquote oh. like who it's. See, I didn't know that. I just figured he made all that shit up. Well, the the point that I was making for myself was more that he has done history, like, history sort of stuff, and a history themed movie. Yeah, I understand. And so I was like, oh well. The other annoying. two, you lost me, and I didn't. So the other time, so I I completely forgot to update our date and the time that things were happening because I start with saying in the year it was like forty two or forty three, whatever. Julius Caesar was first trying to take. Britain. Yes. But I to- didn't tell you how we had fast forwarded fast forward to 60 to 61 AD. That was when the actual Boudicca rebellion ah, happened. Okay. Or uprising. So that was actually when the story took place, but the only date that I gave was the initial date about Julius the Caesar. Julius so. Caesar one. <laughs> yeah. And I was and I was sitting there thinking I knew, but I realized I didn't say it at some point. I was like, shit, no one's going to know what year we're in. So, <laughs> 60, 61 CE. So, there's that. And then, here's oh, my one. Oh, there's more. And here's the third one. The thing that I heard Arjun say in his, where uh, I was talking about Suetonius Paulinus and his role mm-hmm. in Britain, basically mm-hmm. being the governor. Yeah. But I said... Oh, this is so cringe. I didn't even realize I said it. I said procreator, basically as in like oh. procreation, as yes. in like, yeah, exactly. I was like procreator, Suetonius, Paulinus. And I was but like, you meant. And really it's procurator. Gotcha. <laughs> Which is pronounced completely different and means a completely different thing. It's not even spelled the same. So I said procreator. <laughs> it's procreator. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or procurator. See, I can't even say it right now. Um, <laughs> And I heard him say it, and I went, fuck, because I, cause I had heard mine. And I was like, wait a second, that's not right. And then I heard Son him say it in his, bitch. and I was like, son of a bitch. Uh, okay. And Just... then immediately messaged him, and I was like, hey, your episode on this is really good. Please, for the love of God, do not listen to ours. <laughs> Did cause, he? Because you will cringe so hard. But Did he? anyway, well, he said, no, Dias, I'm going to listen to it. So I don't know if he oh, actually fuck. did or not. But, <laughs> well, yeah. to throw you a bone. Thank you. You do understand that we do this inebriated, right? I know, but I and I thought that too. I was like, you well, know, I, I mean, was pretty high, we should strive for the utmost accuracy possible, right, and I agree right. with that because I don't want to be complete trash bags attempting to do this. But I do also. If you it happened every week, I'd be like, okay, get your shit together. But because it was a one-off, <laughs> once in a while, we're not human beings. We are human beings. We're not perfect. So and. I'm pretty sure you were pretty high for that episode because you clam baked me, oh, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, what did I, I do for that? For, oh, Machizuki. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whoa, dude. There were a couple times where I was just like spaced out and I was like, ninjas. And you're like, no, I need you to focus. <laughs> so with a little bit of that in mind, sometimes we are inebriated when we do this. So <laughs> yeah, I could see why you could say, what did you say? Procreator instead mm. of proc? Pro, well, how do you say it? Procurator? Procurator. Procurator. Got it. <laughs> it's kind of so a Tony's funny one how you say it. I know. He's just procreating all just over procreating the place. Just procreating all over the damn place. <laughs> Fuck that guy. 
Oh, oh man. Okay. Anyway, so thanks, Arjun. And also, you know, thank you to my own brain for catching mistakes when I hear them and being able to. Um... I'm surprised you remembered it. Yeah. I mean... The only one I ever caught was my Tecumseh episode. And I found out later, I was like, <gasps> oh, that's right. Yeah, you did a yep. thing. And I was yeah. like, no. Yeah. So we just try and listen for those things. And uh, yeah, moving on. Um, yeah. So then let's fight to the death by <laughs> <laughs> hand symbols. Yep. Ready? Okay. Bottle, leaf, grinder, shoot. Ah. I grounded. My leaf to your grinder. Okay. I grounded you. <laughs> Rounded me all up. All right. You get to go first. Okay. That's good because I'm actually very excited for this one this evening. I feel like I finally might have found women's history that you don't know. But let's be honest. You probably it. do know it. You're probably going to be like, oh, yes, that one. Bring it on. Located about 15 miles south of Paul, Paulie's, I believe it's Paul, it's P-A-W-L-E-Y, Paulie's mm-hmm. Island, lies Hobcaw Barony in South Carolina. Do you know what's happening yet? Good. 17,500 acres of pine forests, salt marsh, and cypress swamps are preserved thanks to the foresight of one Isabella Wilcox Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H otherwise known as Belle, who was a woman ahead of her time. She was a conservationist, a suffragist, an athlete, a woman determined to plot her own destiny even though she was a woman. Belle's Jewish-German grandfather, Simon, emigrated to Charleston from Hamburg in 1855. He completed a medical degree and served as a surgeon on the Confederate Army. After the war, he moved to New York, New York, and rose to acclaim in his field, lecturing at Columbia University and pioneered several now-standard surgical procedures, including the appendectomy. Appendectomy? Mm-hmm. Are taking out your appendix? I had that done. Yeah. It's probably a little more updated the way I had it done than how he would have done it. Sure. I'm probably. Thinking, yeah. Like you didn't have like a giant gash, gash from side to side? Down. No, so I didn't. Have huge ones. Bernard, one of Simon's four children, started out as an errand boy for Wall Street and soon became a partner at a brokerage house learning the trade. So he had four kids, Simon, and this is one of the four kids. He became known as a plunger. He took big risks for great reward. Bernard was a key figure in the Paris Peace Conference after World War I. Although never given an official title or paycheck, he became a trusted advisor to seven U.S. presidents, from Wilson to Eisenhower. In 1905, Bernard Baruch purchased Hobcaw, which was compromised of 14 different plantations. The vast estate entertained dignitaries on a grand scale from both FDR and Winston Churchill, having been houseguests at one point. Oh. I know. Bell was the oldest of Bernard and Anne's three children, born in 1899. Her life was highly unorthodox, both because of and in spite of her upbringing. She competed in areas dominated by men, lived openly as a lesbian, and championed progressive political beliefs that often led to clashes with her democratic but conventional father. She seemed to have inherited much of her father's intensity and drive. Even before young Belle was in her 20s, it was clear that she was a natural athlete. Coming in at a ripe 6'2". Oh, wow. She was huge. Wow. Not, I mean, I... For her. (laughs) Yeah. Like, who's who's fucking with her? 
They'd be like, no, you know, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I ran my mouth off to you. Men, probably. Well, I know, but she's... I mean, look at the time. Well, yeah, I suppose you're right. I mean, she's extremely athletically inclined, though. Uh, by 17, she had won more than 50 sailing trophies. On Habqa, the uh, estate, mm-hmm. sorry, I like, don't know why I felt the need to explain that to you, even though I already did. Uh, Belle followed her father around, riding and hunting. Not stately dressage, mind you. Because that, that is acceptable for ladies. No, mm-hmm. no. She was more interested in show jumping and the, uh, what it, the, how did it put it, the invigorating adrenaline-induced steeplechasing. When her father was dispatched to Paris in 1919, she lived abroad off and on. In Europe, she won over 300 medals on horseback in 1928 and between 1928 and 1930. Her greatest ambition was to compete in the Olympics, but it wouldn't be allowed that women could ride before 1956. She even, I didn't include it here, but I'll tell you it because it was a fun fact that I remember. She applied for her riding, basically the license to compete in the United States and they wouldn't give it to her. Mm -hmm. So she went to France, got a man's license and wrote under that. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, it was weird. I don't know why they just, like, registered her under a man's... Like, they wouldn't give her a women's license still. It oh, was okay, but license. they're like, but if you just sign up for a man's card yeah, or license, you can have fine. it. Okay. It was weird, though, because it said specifically that it wasn't a woman's license. I was like... Okay. I'm thinking because they just didn't exist. So they're yeah. like, yep, here's your shit. <laughs> Get your horse. Yeah, that's right. My favorite that's horse's name was Toto, by the way. Oh. As in Blessing the Rains. Oh. <laughs> or Auntie M. That too. I was trying to work more Toto song titles into another <laughs> joke and it didn't happen. I was just sitting there awkwardly and then I was like, okay, better start talking now. <laughs> I was like sitting there and I was like, I wonder if she held the line or if her love was on time. And I was like, nope, it was too lame. <laughs> During World War I, Bell worked for the Red Cross and studied radio telegraphy. Right? Yeah. Cool. Morse code? Yep. Okay. She went about teaching Morse code to two, it just said aviation camps, and that she was part of like a woman corps or whatever, but I didn't understand the whole aviation camps. I was like, you mean she taught the Air Force? <laughs> like what? Like why did you like aviation? Like bases? Like Air Force bases? It said aviation camps. Okay. Specifically. After the war, she became close with uh, one Evangeline Brewster Johnson. Oh, yeah. You know who that is? No, but I'm, I see what's going on. <laughs> Heiress to the Johnson & Johnson Pharmaceutical Fortune. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that Johnson. They traveled together and spoke at the League of Nations, trying to do what they could to prevent another war. So she, she being Evangeline, ended up getting married, uh, falling in love and getting married to, I don't remember his name, obviously he wasn't important, but, I mean, he was important to her, but not to this story. So, (laughs) at this point, Belle had not yet had her epiphany about her sexual identity, uh, and she had had one very serious affair with a man a Romanian minister in Washington, D.C. Rumors circulated about their engagement, which the Romanian king at the time scoffed at due to Bell being a Jew. 
Oh. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that. I was like, huh, but... Well, no, I mean, it's a very real... Oh, I especially at that time mm-hmm. in history. No, I understand, but I didn't know that Romania subscribed to such a thing. But there you go. Her father even went so far as to offer her $2 million to call it all off. He just thought it was a... He just thought it was unconventional and was like, eh, I don't really agree. I just think you shouldn't. However, she refused, but ended up collecting it as a consolidation prize after the relationship ended anyway. Consolation prize? Yeah. <laughs> Why? What did I say? Constellation? Con- con- condensation prize or something did like I that. Did I really? Yeah. Holy fuck. How high did you get me, dude? <laughs> <laughs> And we still got it wrong. <laughs> not, like, did, nowhere, anywhere in there did any of us say the right word. You're like, what did I say? Constellation? I was like, no, condensation. And consolidation. Like, consolidation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. We'll get it somewhere. Okay. Here we go. Moving on. All righty. So it was a consolation prize, <laughs> not a condensation, consolidation or constellation. She ended up collecting it anyway, and she used it to build one of the finest stables in Europe. Oh, all right. It's a way to end a relationship. Afterwards, Belle mostly kept the company of women, being both profound friendships and intimate relationships. Belle always felt terrible guilt about her sexual orientation, however, as it greatly displeased her father. I got the impression, because there were parts that he didn't agree with, but he never, like, wrote her out of anything. Mm. And they were never like, nope, you can't have my money. He'd be like, no, like, do you need, like, here's two million bucks, dude. I mean, he probably didn't call her dude, but you know what I'm saying. They still spoke up until the time that, like, so, but I did get the impression, I almost got the impression that she was like a daddy's girl. She didn't really have much to do with her mother at all. But it said that her mom was uh, a good supporter of hers, even though her grandmother wasn't. And she's named after her paternal grandmother. Isabella. Mm, okay. Yeah. And then she goes through this whole legal process to have her father write a letter of recommendation to change her name from Isabella to Belle because she preferred it. It said that later in life she kind of gained her own uh, on- autonomy from her father because every- everywhere she went, they're like, oh, you're ben- Bernard's daughter. Oh, right. Obviously. The dude was a big deal. Like, duh. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't, I see why, but that's just kind of like she was like, yep. Yeah, but, you know, I'm all, as you can tell, she's also her own person with her own very real set of ideas. Um, but, yeah, but it, it was one of those things, like, but he never, like, disowned her or anything weird like that. Like, they were always cool. But it was always, it's always mentioned that he didn't approve of, like, most of the things she did. So. Okay. Most of the inhabitants on the properties were worried about uh, being forced out, most having been born there. Obviously, most of them were from slave families. Right, yeah. Because it was a plantation beforehand. Because we're in South Carolina at this time. And most of the times. Pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. No, sorry. You said some, or like setting up a stable in Europe, and that's where my brain was. You just had to like catch the train back to the Totally. So she just, uh, that's when he went to Paris in 1919. Mm -hmm. She just kind of went back and forth for a while. And she did all of the writing I talk about, that was done in Europe. And she came back here because it wasn't really done here. And most of it wasn't set up anyway for, like, steeplechasing and stuff like that. That's a little bit more of a European thing. Um, we had, like, the flat racing like we do now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so 
back at South Carolina on the place where it was like the plantations. They, a lot of people were born there. They were worried about not having work anymore, obviously. Wait, what, what yeah, year is this? Yeah, it's about like, it's like 19, it's after World War One. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. But I mean, yeah, I, yeah. like it's, it's not like still it not good. Yeah. However, Bernard Baruch kept them on to work, didn't get rid of everyone, and even improved the houses and added amenities. Little footnote. All of that to be said. I don't think he was a bad dude, but I think he was a product of his time, and he was heard to, like, talk about them as, like... Oh, I'm sure. Like, you would hear a white man talk about black people back in the day, Mm -hmm. basically, is what I'm saying to you. And I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. Because, like, after reading, like, he improved, like, all their living conditions and all that, I'm like, yay! Yeah, he improved things above a slave status, but they were not his equals. No! You know. It was one of those, like, it was going so well. Yeah, it was going so well. (laughs) And then it just... And I was like, yeah. oh. Okay. That's how I'm picturing it, because that's kind of how people, most people still were. But he did offer uh, a lot more opportunities. Like, they all had schools. All of the children went to school to learn to read and write arithmetic. Uh, they learned all of that. So it's not like they were, like, uneducated swine either. <laughs> uh, Bell was more interested in the welfare of the residents as well, particularly in the schools. They did have a separate school for... Uh, blacks and a separate school for whites. She served as a self-appointed truant officer for Hobkaw. Oh. She would chase down students who skipped class on horseback, including a couple times through a marsh because oh. they thought she wouldn't follow and she sure as shit did. She delivered them back to their principal to face punishment. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, are these schools on the property, or are they... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, like, he put up these schools for the children mm-hmm. of his employees, or... Yeah, of all of them, yes. Yeah. But they were separate schools. Okay. Yeah. So, she's, you know, chasing down students, trying to get away on an afternoon. She's like, get back to school, <laughs> you rascals. Oh, damn. All right. I know. But above all of this was Belle's passion for the natural environment. She convinced her father to sell her 5,000 acres of his land in 1936. So, coming up to World War II. Two decades later, she bought the remaining land. Bell saw how the development had increased along all of the South Carolina coastal counties and was worried about the endangerment of the wildlife. She altered her will to include a large part of the estate going to establish a private educational trust specifically for conservation. It was named the Bell W. Baruch Foundation. She wanted to name it after her father, but he, I don't know if he felt that it was better, because it really had more to do with what she wanted than what he wanted or what, but he told her, like, that you should name it after yourself, not after me. So, but again, that's just another thing, like, she always wanted her father to be, like, a part of her life and all that. So it almost seems like they were close, because they talk about and to each other all the time. But, like, also, he was like, no, what did it say? Her family didn't talk about her. How did they put it? <laughs> um, oh, I can't remember, but it was, like, a really funny way of saying, essentially, sexuality. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, her tendencies or something. It wasn't even that. It was just really, like, a very posh way of putting it. And I was like, oh, my, okay. Preferring to handle these things in the private as opposed to talking openly. <laughs> I was like, sure. Yeah. yeah, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> right. Sadly, Belle 
died from brain cancer in 1964. Her father outlived her by just one more year, passing away at the age of 94. Today, the foundation works hand-in-hand with the University of South Carolina Institute for Marine and Coastal Sciences, as well as the Clemson University's Bell W. Baruch Institute of Coastal Ecology and Forest Science to conduct studies in the importance of coastal ecosystems and stuff like that. So that's how this story even got brought to my attention, is one of my friends went down and for a whole summer and was there. Oh, wow. you get to stay at the house. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a thing. You can go see it. So all that land that she, like I said, 17,500 acres, it's all conservation now. Wow. Yes. And I'm pretty sure, like, she showed me, I have pictures that I will let you put up on the social media that this person took when they were there. I was really glad she told me about it. I guess uh, she said that she was pretty sure that Belle even got to be, like, a pilot. At one point, it was always looking for submarines off the coast of her wow. South Carolina yeah. during World War II. Because supposedly the Germans were bringing submarines over here. I don't know that I'd ever heard that, but I guess she was always on the lookout. She was doing whatever she could to help the war effort. Yeah, and there's a really cool picture of like a tractor buried in the sand. Oh, It's just, I just remember that was one of those that I was like, whoa, really stuck out to me. Yeah, it was really cool. And then... There is so much more. I really had to kind of dumb it down. It's kind of more of like a social study than it is anything else, but just like all the cool stuff she did and like all the people that she unapologetically hung out with but was like also herself and stuff like that, all six foot and two inches of her. Yeah, man, she was a, she's a tall gal. Mm-hmm. She sounds awesome, though. That's great that... Like, she has a legacy to this day where the mm-hmm. colleges are still continuing it's a her very alive and thriving yeah. legacy as well. And it's one of the only ones of its kind. So it's super cool that it's still there because almost all of our coastal areas in the United States are built up. So it's a special spot. But yeah, I just thought it was really cool who she was in history. And not really very talked about either, but working for women's suffrage and all that. And then, like turn of the century and she's like yeah i'm gay and i'm like what (laughs) i've never heard of anyone being openly gay at that time in history so that like shocked me well it's definitely much more rare but um you'll find stories of it yeah really Mm -hmm. well blew my mind i have not yet read them Uh, history a lot of times will will be like oh they were friends or they were roommates or whatever you know that kind Lame. of thing and everyone people now are like no no they were gay it's fine like yeah you can you can say it no but um of course not, you know not that that's always the case one way or another but that's typically how those sort of same-sex friendships would be you know friendships relationships i should say would be marked in books sometimes would ah. be like oh they were life lifelong companions and friends or you know things like that I have a very interesting story for you all that takes us back to 800 CE in Northern Africa. To be honest, I actually hadn't heard of this woman until recently. I've only like learned about her within the last year, year and a half. But once I heard about her, I'm like, well, I'm absolutely going to do a story on her because she sounds kick-ass. Depending on where you live in the world, your view and understanding of history will most likely be shaped by the continent or nation that you live in. For those of us with Eurocentric historical education, we think of European universities as being the first, you know, universities educational centers in the world. For example, 
I've recently found out like some things that have changed my whole perception of time. I, th- I put a post up about this where you learn something that changes how you view time. So for example, Cleopatra lived closer to the time of the iPhone than she did of the pyramids. I have heard that. And it I had to like stop and sit for a second and digest it. What was the other one? Triceratops is closer to us than it was to the T-Rex or something. Uh-huh. Or it might have been vice versa. T-Rex is closer. To, I can't remember who's Jurassic and who's Cretaceous, but get out of here. I'm T-Rex is Jurassic. You sure? I would think so, right? Oh, are you so sure? I don't know. I just threw that out. I'll, be I'll fact right check you. Wrong, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll fact check you later. Right. Um, but regard, it was one of those that's like you're actually closer related to like T Rex than he is to Triceratops. I'm like, wait, get the fuck out. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fax machine was invented the same year that people started using the Oregon Trail, and not the not the sweet video game, but I mean like the actual Oregon Trail. Fax As machine. in, like, was it Morse code at that point? Was it like? Beep, 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 I don't know. Beep, beep, just, beep, beep, beep. It was invented the same year. I refuse to believe that one. Uh-huh. Another <laughs> one I heard was that Oxford University was founded in 1096, which was centuries before the Aztec Empire began in 1428. So 1096 to 1428. So yes, Oxford University is old as fuck, but it's not the oldest. The first and longest running university in the world was founded by a refugee Muslim woman. And her name was Fatima Alfieri. Her full name is Fatima bint Muhammad Alfiera. There's a lot of speculation on Fatima's early years, but there really isn't that much written about her, to be honest. Um, And there are really no primary sources on her earliest years anyway, so hard to get information. What we've got is what we've got. (laughs) What we've got is what we've got, yeah. As we learned with many Viking tales, we're like, (laughs) well, this is all we got. Enjoy it. So a lot of the sources that I used were sources that... Like, everyone kind of recycles the same few sources with this one because there's just That's not a lot of information. Is. Yeah. And there it is. So, But what we do know is that she was born around the year 800 CE into a Muslim family of Arabic descent, which included her father, Muhammad ibn Abdullah al-Firi, and her younger sister, Miriam. For whatever yeah. reason, there's no record of her mom. We know that, obviously, she did have a mother, but there's no record of her name. We just have her sister's name and her father's name. Huh. Fury as in, like, Guy Fury? All times I've heard it pronounced, it's Fury as in, like, Guy Fury. Get the fuck out. But it's pronoun- It's uh, written out F-I-H-R-I. Wrong. You're taking us to Flavortown tonight. <laughs> <laughs> they lived together in the town of Karawan in Tunisia. Though they weren't a wealthy family, they were well-educated, and Muhammad encouraged his young daughters to pursue a life of learning. I love that. Very supportive dad in terms of not only do I want my daughters to know the Quran and know religious studies and have, you know, pursued that. But I also want them to be educated in math and reading and writing and like other things too, which is so great. So although they loved their town of Karawan, its Aglabad rulers were anti-Islamic and had dramatically increased taxes on the Muslim citizens. With an increase in financial oppression and then the corruption of the government and its leaders, a lot of Muslim citizens of Karawan objected and they tried to protest, but it only resulted in a greater threat of violence from the Aglabad government. Hmm. Where right. is this located? We're in Tunisia right now. We're in Karawan, Tunisia. About uh, where would that uh, Tunisia is a northern country in Africa. So like next to Morocco. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. 
throw me Morocco and I'm I'm good. I'm there yeah, with you. Yeah, we're to the currently to the east of Morocco. Okay. And so sometime in the year 824 and 826, the Alfieri family packed up and made the 1,600 kilometer or 1,000 mile journey east. Nope, just kidding. We were west of Morocco. (laughs) You lied to me. (laughs) Making the 1,000 mile journey east to Fez in Morocco. They were one of the many Muslim families who migrated from Karawan, but they were not the only ones. In Islamic Spain, oppression there caused many to flee across the Mediterranean Sea to Fez as well. Fez was the place to be if you're a Muslim, especially like places where there was oppression against Muslims. Fez was this big, booming, cosmopolitan city that uh, was very accepting of all peoples, but particularly for Muslims. And it was just like this up-and-coming place. So we're going to tax them and throw them out on the streets? Yes. So, as you can imagine, the city... The city's population increases dramatically. Everyone goes there. Once they were settled, Muhammad became a merchant. And because all these people are coming to the city and they're buying things, he started doing very well. And it wasn't long before it was a thriving business. The family was pretty wealthy and they didn't want for anything. They all worked very hard, were very happy. They loved their city. His encouragement for his daughter's education and spiritual growth just multiplied many fold in Fez because there's more of the opportunity to do it, especially for, for women. You don't have an impressive government, right? So he wanted them educated again, both in religious and in secular studies. But he's like, I also want you to be real well-read women, go to the library. I want you to be critical thinkers. I want you to be able to like take in information, <laughs> critically think about it and apply it to your your life and mm-hmm. like use your noodles and i love that not only that but they learned <laughs> business sense from him i'm guessing right too, yeah they probably helped him yeah mm-hmm. yeah i figured they would they learned a whole lot you know and so the kids grow up in the city of fez and then one day fatima gets married the family's well off life is fucking great until why do i feel like you're gonna disney movie do that <laughs> until both fatima's father and her husband died in a short span of time from each other yeah, they oh. died pretty soon from each other. We don't know from what, but they died pretty quickly from one another. Fatima inherited some money from her husband, but her father's wealth went to both of his daughters, and it was considerable. Mm-hmm. These girls, the sisters, are now rich, Fatima and Miriam. And with all this money, they're like, well, we could spend it on ourselves, but what's the point? And there's so much money, like we could we could do something better with this. And they look around at their city and they're seeing their city bursting at the seams. The mosques are getting too crowded to pray in. And like any sort of open space is just cramped. Hmm. There's not like a place for more people to go and learn and socialize and, sp- and spread ideas. Yeah, and go to Flavortown. I was like, get out of here with your Flavortown. <laughs> hey, I've had Middle Eastern cooking. That is Flavortown. It is Flavortown for sure. I love it. Especially Moroccan food. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And so Fatima and her sister Miriam decided to build a couple of mosques. Miriam's was called Al-Andalus, named for the immigrants from the Andalusian region of Spain. Aha! Isn't that so sweet? And then Fatima named her mosque Al-Karawin, which was named for their home city, Karawin. Fatima looks at Al-Karawin and she thinks, okay, yep, this is good. We've got a great mosque. People can come and pray and they have space now. Mm -hmm. But would be really cool is if it was a school. We want people to come and and learn and share ideas. 
With her wealth, Fatima buys all the land surrounding the mosque and breaks ground on a school. Now here's another super cool part. Fatima helps design. So she's, she's doing the architecture of the school. And she's um, overseeing all aspects of it. So all part of the design and the construction, she is like project manager on it, watching it, keeping an eye on everything. And she says, we're not going to go outside of my land to get resources to build. You need wood, you get the wood from this land. You need stone, you mine it from this land. They did everything this really sustainable way mm-hmm. to build using the resources on the land that it's getting built on that she owns. So cool. That is extremely insightful of her. At that yes. time, are you fucking yeah. kidding me? Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And it's so beautiful, too. Like, I'll put some pictures up of it. But we got the... She's got her little hard hat on. She's directing everyone (laughs) where they're supposed to go. (laughs) She does. She's got a little hard hat and everything. And And she has a quill, right? They would have used quills at this time? I don't know. She has a quill. She's (laughs) pointing everyone where to go. You know how the project manager always has the pencil behind the ear? Yeah. She had a quill. Okay. Um, We got, so we got, like, the keyhole doors and, like, a big courtyard. It's got classrooms, a library, a prayer room. And then... This is all attached to the original mosque, so it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Mwah, chef's kiss. The University of Al-Karawin opened in 859 CE to teach religious studies and the Quran, but soon included classes in mathematics, music, grammar, you know, Arabic studies, uh, language studies, chemistry, geology, astronomy, medicine. Yeah, I mean. What year is this? 859 CE. Jesus. Let that sink into your little noggin. Yeah. And remember, there's BCE and CE. Yeah. So no, before, I got that. Before Common Era and Common Era. So, yeah. Right, right. No, like, you're coming up on, like, Viking time. Like, this is very ancient. Mm-hmm. This is very ancient. What it year still was, stands yep. today. Oh, wow. What year was Boudicca? 61. 60 to 61 AD. Or CE, sorry. Okay, cool. Yeah. So before Ragnar... But after Boudicca. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Is it weird? Do you have to bookmark history like that for yourself? Sometimes, yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Or, like, see how threads cross. Like, mm-hmm. oh, and this was happening in this year. This was happening over here at this time. Yep. So you can kind of understand more of, like, a uh, interaction of cultures or, like. Oh, yeah. The idea, I have you know, to do like that, that stuff mm-hmm. or my brain can't, like, comprehend things on a timeline. Yeah. That makes sense. It even later gave degrees to its students based on completion of an area of study. So it's the first university and it's the first um, giving degrees as well. Really everything about today's universities started here at El Carawan. It sounds like it. Minus the crippling student debt. But like <laughs> class, right? <laughs> Classes, degrees, the like the sharing of ideas, like a, a cultural and Formal degrees center. and all that, yeah. Yes. Except you're not paying it off forever and ever. It became the place to be for knowledge. And here's the wonderful thing. It's open to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Christian or Muslim or black or white or a man or a woman or purple whatever. Purple people like, eater. Ev- a purple people eater. It does not. It Like everyone's welcome there. And I love it. One of its many famed students was Pope Sylvester II, who was the same guy who later brought Arabic numerals back to Europe. So like one, two, three, four, five, like the yeah, numbers as Roman we numerals. know them. Yes, yes, we use them. Well, in the no, Super not Bowl. Roman numerals. Oh, because sorry, nope. When you, if you were to write the number one right now, that's, that shape that you'd make—that that's is a, an Arabic numeral. Holy shit! 
that shape that you'd make. Wait, so our numbers are actually Arabian numbers. Mm-hmm. Arabic. Oh. Mm-hmm. Arabian's Mine. the horse. Got it. No. <laughs> We're on the same page. Just, uh, yeah. Just different paragraphs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so... I did not know that. And that was something that happened across the board. These students would be, you know, sharing ideas and learning from people from other parts of the globe and then would go back to their country or region and share those ideas with the, the people there. It was amazing. So, like, this is this is an epicenter of knowledge and ideas and progress and science and music and religion just rippling out from this point after the university was erected in 859 it paved the way for the founding of europe's universities including the university of bologna which was founded in 1088 and the university of oxford which was founded in 1096 fatima herself was frequently seen at the university taking classes and attending lectures into her later years Fatima died in 880 CE, 21 years after the opening of the university she created. Oh, wow. The mosque at Al-Karawin continued to expand until it was the largest in Africa, with space for 22,000 to worship. Today, it isn't the largest, but it still remains like one of the largest. Yeah. But for a time, it, it was the biggest in Africa. The university is also still going strong today, making it the longest-running university in the world, according to UNESCO and the Guinness Book of World Records. Wow. The university's gorgeous and ancient library, which is home to an original 9th-century Quran, still in its original binding, which just makes me nervous. You like, just looks like to that. Touch it, like, though. yeah, no, I just, just crumble the dust. Oh. What about this one? Nope, we don't touch that don't one. Don't even look at it; it'll crumble. Don't. Don't even breathe yeah. near it. And also has 4,000 manuscripts, including the historian Ibn Khaldun's 14th century Muqaddima and Fatima's own degree hanging on the wall. So <laughs> Muqaddima, I, I put that in just to sound really smart and put more text in there. Yeah. I think it's like a economics book or something like that. But it's like a, it shows as like a really famous text huh. or whatever. The library has recently been renovated in 2016 by another Muslim woman, Canadian-Moroccan architect Aziza Chaouni. Even though it had some renovations over the years, this 2016 project was the largest. According to Chaouni, the library still suffered from major structural problems, a lack of insulation, and infrastructural deficiencies like a blocked drainage system, broken tiles, cracked wood beams, exposed electric wires, and so on. Holy shit. That's her quote from uh, the Ventures Africa source I used. A public wing was even open for visitors. So now visitors can come into the library and at least like look at parts of it, which I would assume is probably where the more famous sort of texts are, so you can see them. That's just a guess, though. Yeah. On a side note, Aziza is also doing some really great renovation projects in Fez. In 2017, Tunisia created an award for Fatima, which recognizes women who contribute to educational achievements and to empowering women. And that everybody, is the story of Fatima Alfieri, the Muslim woman who created the world's longest-running university. Wow. Yay! I'm glad that she gets her credit where it's due. Yeah. She was really amazing, and I only just heard about her within the last year or so. Both had women dedicated to education tonight. Yeah. I like that. We had warrior women, and then we've had, like, like the pen is mightier than the sword kind of women. Kind of. They all did important things, though. Mm-hmm. They recognized uh, the value of knowledge. For yeah, sure. it's very important. 
Got to have our women in STEM and That's what Grandma always education. told me. Yeah. That. What did she, for women, did she ever tell that to you? For women, knowledge is power? Yeah, yeah. I heard that every day, <laughs> like ever. <laughs> yeah, she would always encourage, you know, an education for everybody, but for women to, like, be educated Especially. and know and, you know, have a certain level of independence. That's our grandma boo. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Every level of independence. <laughs> All the independence. Yeah, I don't even know why I said level of uh, But yes. No, yeah. Yeah, that, that was her for sure. <laughs> oh, gosh. I hope you feel good, everybody. Just cuddled in, learning about some really badass women in the world of education and their legacy. Um, of today. Of still, today. both of them still. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yours is a little more ancient than mine, but both of their legacies still alive today. And that's cool. Yeah, I love that. I, this is great. We'll keep on celebrating women this month, and uh, and then we'll we'll have some fun things for April. I'm I'm really excited about what I've got going on in April. I know you are. Yeah, I think it'll be really good. We'll have some fun with it. It's just kind of in our stoner wheelhouse, <laughs> weird history and all that. It's all that gonna jazz. be fun. So, um, but hey, that's coming up in a couple more weeks. In the meantime, get money, get high, give love, and knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing on whatever platform you get your pods. It really does help us so much and also helps others find us and join our weekly history party. As for the socials, you can find us on Instagram at Hightailing History and on Facebook at Hightailing Through History or with the username at Hightailing History. You can contact us at HightailingHistoryPod at gmail.com. Have a great week, folks.